Hey family, I'm Mark. Welcome to the Kinship Collective. We are ending otherness. We are growing solidarity by celebrating and lamenting our stories and reimagining scripture together. This week, we got to hang out with Daniel Hardy Jr. He has an incredible story of going from his hometown to being able to play D1, get the scholarship, go to the NFL, then become a pastor, and now he's working on acting. What really struck me in this conversation was there was a moment where we woke up to the personal relationship with God comment that we hear a lot. We kind of broke that down and started to talk about what does that actually mean? Because I think that if we really took a personal relationship with God really seriously and thought uh, meaningfully about that, we would hold a lot of hospitality for people's very unique journeys with God. This conversation is so helpful. We talk about giftedness and strengths, and then we get into scripture. We talk about Second Timothy and this letter to a young leader and about fear that reminds him of his story and, and his family, where he comes from. You're gonna love it. Welcome to the Kinship Collective. And gentlemen, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh man, I how do I even begin these things anymore? Hey, family, welcome to the Kinship Collective. We want to end otherness. We're ending otherness. We want to celebrate and lament our stories together and reimagine Scripture in ways that build solidarity. So. Um, I'm really grateful. Here we are. It's a new season. It's a new season. Um, and today's guest, we have uh, an extraordinary human being, a brother. I'm really, really, really grateful to call my brother, to call friend, actually. I think we call, for me, I call a lot of people family. That's kind of the, the reality I live in. But this is a friend who's been to my home. I've been to his home, and I really respect him. He's a former pastor, former NFL player. Uh, but really, to me, he is a purveyor of worthiness, and he's a light in the rooms that he walks into. I've, I've watched the ways that he changes people's countenance, his belief in others, his love for others, and his love for his wife, Mariah, um, that I'm sure we'll get into his story. But ladies and gentlemen, today we have with us Daniel Hardy Jr. What's up? <laughs> the crowd goes beyond wild. Oh, gosh. I love this. I love this. I'm hyped. Daniel, come on, man. Well, Daniel, I wanted to invite you on when I, I started to think about your story is phenomenal to grow up in Alaska of all places. Just kidding. Not to shoot on, <laughs> not to shoot on Alaska. I'm used um, to it. <laughs> and to chase your dream of the NFL. And for me, I, I do want to hear a little bit about your experience of the NFL. But for me, I'm, I'm more concerned or more interested in the ways that that journey formed you. Mm. So share yeah. with us a little bit about the journey to the NFL. I'm honored, man. Thanks again for having me, bro. This is a blessing. I love what you're doing. This is super exciting. Um. You want to be the first to crap on Alaska. So it's all good. You know, we <laughs> we don't have a lot of people that uh, come out of there. We got, you know, Mario Chalmers. He he won a couple couple rings with LeBron and uh, and D. Wade and Bosch. But like, yeah, our athletes at least are few and far between. Um, but, you know, growing up there, I always wanted to play at the highest level. Um and even though it, it, it felt far-fetched because we didn't have a lot of examples and a lot of heroes, it was just something I was like, man, why why not? Why not me? Why can't I do it? And, you know, you get doubted a lot being from Alaska. Like, oh, they play basketball in Alaska? They got they got soccer fields in Alaska? Like, you probably play with an ice ball, right? You, you, you probably catch ice balls up there and just, like, <laughs> you hear it all. Um, and it kind of puts this chip on your shoulder, like, well... Yeah, watch this. Like, watch this. And 
it was just this thing of like wanting to prove myself, wanting to prove my worth, which ultimately, and maybe we'll get into this a little bit, kind of affected my identity because I, once I got better and better at sports, it was like, oh, well, this is who I am. I'm an athlete. Like above anything else, I'm an athlete. And so I put so much of my heart and soul into that, which was cool and it opened up a lot of doors. But then ultimately when you can't play that sport anymore, it's like, then what are you? And so that's kind of what happened. But but growing um, growing up and, and pursuing that dream and overcoming a lot of obstacles really built um, this resilience in me and this perse- perseverance of like, oh, I can overcome, I can achieve things. Um, and it was beautiful. It was, it was a dream come true, ultimately getting to make it to play professional football and play college football. Because honestly, it's a step-by-step process. It's like, can I even play at the college level? Like... And for two and a half years, I didn't even get to play. You know, I didn't get a scholarship. And it took a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to make it to that level first. And then the ball kind of started mm-hmm. rolling off the right. Yeah. You know, when you when you shared about what that feels like for you, um, and for me, when you talked about finding worth in your ability to perform your craft at that time, to me, it, it doesn't seem incongruent that that journey of finding worth wrapped in that thing and then that thing you you talked about like your identity being wrapped in the sport and then when you can't do that thing anymore then what do you do and i've watched you kind of evolve and transform or or hone in and discover passion in different ways discover maybe these different true places within yourself Mm. and explore them with the same kind of passion and energy that you explored football, when you talk about that resilience, the blood, sweat, and tears, I've watched you put blood, sweat, and tears into these into various crafts and various passions, which I think is beautiful. And for the people who listen, I think it's an encouragement to remember that you're so much bigger than the one thing maybe you've given 20 years to or 30 years to or 40 years or your whole life so or, these, or these singular kind of areas in your life and for me I get I think I've got hung up in a lot of um and this feels a little bit weird and it's new to me so you're sparking this within me but it's like family for me has been number one goal priority that and I don't I haven't done it right all the time um but it has become like that thing and so when people talk to me I'm like yeah it's a it's a good thing and uh, and yeah I would rather sacrifice Um, career advancement or other things for family but at the end of the day we are all so much more than the various roles we play in the world so I'm a partner to my wife Karen I'm a dad to my daughters Um, there's different roles that I play but I'm so much more than just each of those roles but back to your story and when you talk about like worth and finding worth in that identity for me it's interesting because I have seen you that journey of discovering and cultivating worthiness within yourself that is not bound to your performance of whatever craft you're working on mm-hmm. or just whatever work is in your hands, whatever's in your hands to do. And and when I think of you, that word of worthiness, you know, I, I remember uh, the times when you would walk around different campuses, high school campuses, and you did this at a correctional facility too, but like, and bestowing, and it's not bestowing, but it's honoring the worthiness in people that sometimes they don't even see in themselves. It's so good. And I remember you giving some kids some pizza and them saying, well, why are you doing this? And you said, because you're worthy of it. You're mm-hmm. worthy of celebration. And to me, that's that's good freaking gospel news. That's like what Jesus, That to me, that that's what Jesus would do. That's good news to be yeah. reminded. Oh, you're worthy. You're so worthy. Come on. Man. Bro, not only that, like you're all those things. You're an amazing leader, but you're you're an amazing friend. And like the thing that you're talking about, about bestowing worthiness, like when I met you, man, we go back to people listening. Mark and I go back to Pasadena and pancakes. I remember we were just like, I felt so much love. I felt so much love for Mark because he, if you've ever met Mark or if you ever listen to him speak, he, he has something that 
is so engaging and welcoming and inviting to the point where I was like, man, I just want you over at my house. Like, can I cook for you? Like, I was like, this is a, this is a guy that makes me feel like I've known him my whole life. And so you, that's what you do as well. Like, I think it takes one to know one. And I think we saw that in each other really early on. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, there's, you know, in college, you you make me think of the story. I, I started to get playing time and our team at Idaho became bowl eligible for the first time in like 10 years. So we were like, I think we were like seven and five or something like that. And the years before that, we were like one and 11, two and 10, just like the bottom of the barrel in the division one. Well, all of a sudden we had this um, remarkable year. And I remember it coincided at the same time I was pursuing God more. And I remember I just was like, started to meet with this guy one-on-one. And at the end of that semester, it was like this time, Christmas time, 2009. And he says, hey, would you be willing to share your story at this bowl breakfast the day before the game? And I was like, uh. And at first I was like, you know what? When you first asked, if you would have asked me this when we first started meeting at the beginning of the football season in August, I was like, I probably would have said no. But I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'll be willing to. Because I started realizing there's more to more to me than just being an athlete. Um, that whole LeBron thing, more than an athlete, like it really started to come alive in me then. And he said, what I didn't tell you, there's going to be 500 people there. And I was like, oh, man, can I back out now? And he's like, and so it was cool. So I went and I just I just shared a little bit of my story. It was me and this other kid from Bowling Green. So they picked one athlete each and uh, from each team. And Mark, after I shared... And I only answered like five to six questions. It wasn't like I gave a 30-minute talk, uh, believe it or not, because you know I can talk. Um, But they came up to me afterwards, these parents and these people, and they were just like, hey, I I just want you to know like what you shared today really impacted us and really impacted my son. Or like they'd have a daughter that like this really impacted my daughter. Thank you very much for speaking. And bro, I never forget the feeling. It felt better than any touchdown I had ever scored. And you know when you, you when you score a touchdown in front of thousands of people, you hype. I mean, you never done that, so you want to understand. But you know when you hit that kickflip, when you hit that kickflip to the dark slide with oh, skateboarding, dark. you feel, hey, Tony not dark Hawk. slide, but but I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> skateboarding terminology. But when you do something remarkable that you're like, whoa, and you feel that feeling like I just accomplished that. It felt better than that. It felt better than any A I got on a paper. So it was interesting of like, I felt like God was highlighting something to me then, like, you're actually much more than what you can do in your performance. Just your story actually is captivating. Like who you are and what you've overcome is captivating and people actually want to hear it. That's kind of like, so what you're doing now, like highlighting people's stories is like, that's that good gospel, what you're talking about. Like, it's probably the most powerful thing you can do is to to create a platform for people to share their stories because I think a lot of people don't realize how powerful and captivating the story is. And for those kids at Pasadena, um, at John Muir High, at all those schools that we go to, at the correctional facility, I started seeing like, man, maybe they don't have people in their life to tell them that their story matters and that they have worth. Like literally 100% of people on this planet all have stories that are worthy of sharing. But for whatever reason, life circumstances, not enough role models, not having a person to come in and encourage them and tell them, hey, you're much more than your circumstances, much more than your past. And you have purpose to actually, um, and you can transform other people's lives too. And that's, I think that's the one of the most beautiful, beautiful things about life and what I've discovered. And it was people like you, it was people like my parents, it was people like my, my spiritual guides that said, Daniel... I see much more in you than just an athlete. And uh, even though that's kind of the only thing I could see for a long time. And that helped me choose other paths um, once my playing career was over. You know, I'm I'm really curious about how, um, <laughs> you know, when we, you train yourself for your craft and it's like, I work really hard, blood, sweat, and tears. The more work I do, the better I can perform. The more time I get, the more highlights I get, 
the more possibility of the next thing, next thing, next thing. And when you shared your story about, you said that what felt commensurate, it felt like your journey uh, of connection with God and the journey towards professional, at that time for you, it was it was D1 football at Idaho. Mm-hmm. And you're saying that those journeys both went up at the same time. Yeah. And I'm I'm curious about if we're saying on the one hand that it is not about our performance, but then we tie our encounter relationship with God, the divine, and we tie that into our performance. Mm. Are we not doing that same kind of deal, just a different way? Like it's still about performance. It's just saying like, the way that I get to good performance is now God. So I add God into my recipe for success. And I, and for me, I don't know if I don't, I don't feel triggered. I'm, I'm genuinely curious about how we do this because I'm genuinely usually very much repulsed by the idea of like, and, and, and repulse is probably strong, but about the idea that like we utilize God or theology or whatever as a part of a pathway it's still always about the other thing so like prosperity gospel it's not about God it's about the prosperity so like it's just I use the God recipe for the prosperity uh and it's still transactional it's still performative it's just it's so I guess I'm thinking about how do we actually surrender or be actually transformed or in the in in luke the idea of repentance and transformation and new ways of seeing and new ways of being for me what would you speak to that about i guess have those been coupled have those been uncoupled that that a connection with god leads to like success no matter what the field is what would you speak to that yeah dude that i love the fact that you're asking this question and wrestling with it because that's been an ongoing thing in my journey. I think a lot of people, um, you know, believers in, in God are like wrestling with this. And, and just in simple, just to simplify it, for example, I'd be in the weight room in Idaho and I'd be like, all right, how can I bring God in here? Or I would just be like, man, I'm so tired. I ain't got it today. And the only verse that I could think of was like Philippians 4.13. So I'd be like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I just like, start benching right and i just like feel it and it was when i started to kind of feel his presence in like a greater way and i'm like wait okay if you're omnipotent and you're omnipresent like you're all-knowing and you're everywhere and you want to be with me that means i can invite you in this weight room and i would get like this boost of energy and i'd be like damn i don't want to do these pull-ups philippians 4 13 and i started doing some more pull-ups and just like i was learning how to incorporate him into the craft right and that was like very layman's terms. As I got, as I continued to go and, and progress, it was like, I was starting to learn and I didn't fully, I, I don't think you'll ever master this because it's, you walk this out and as you learn on the journey, but it's like, if he's a good loving God, if he's a good loving father and he actually is our biggest cheerleader, <laughs> that means he wants to actually be with us on the journey. So we don't have to feel like we got to do it all alone and be like, yo, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me so I can get this money. <laughs> so I can, but here's the thing. I don't feel like God is, is intimidated by prosperity. Like if he's a God of abundance, like he actually wants to bless his children, but it's like, but are we, again, are we putting the dollar over the relationship? Are we putting the, the craft over the relationship? is this becoming our idol? Is this becoming our God? And I think it kind of started to shift for me where I was like, no, I'm a NFL tight end. Like, this is what I do. This is who I am. This is like, and I'm not saying I got hurt because of that. I think it was God's grace that like when I tore my knee, he was like, hey, Daniel, I created you to be much more than a football player. And he met me right where I was at, right? But on the, as we pursue these passions and professions, I think we're learning how to, and somebody said this so good. He said, perform from a place of favor, not for a place of favor. Yeah, yeah. I love that. You know I mean? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, so 
I already have favor because I'm his son. Like you, you, hey, hey, young lady, you already have favor because you're his daughter. So you actually are already, you get to perform from a place of like 100% loved. If you, if I drop this pass, guess what? I'm already 100% loved. Does that mean I don't want to be excellent? No, but that means I don't have to be like so shut down and like now I can't even, I can't even play anymore because I messed up or I suck. Um, and there's this thing about like, I really feel like God is a God of excellence. And so he's like, he wants us to go to the, the corners of the globe, performing our crafts from the talent he's given us, right? So it's like, oh, our craft is what actually, being excellent at our craft is actually what opens up the door. And mm. that's what gets us in the door. But then what keeps us there? Mm. Our character. Mm. So it's like, oh, sure. Like, you're, the, you're like the most talented, I mean, you name it. Yeah. And you get in the door of that industry. But what's actually going to keep you there? Not necessarily your talent. It's the character. And that's what sets you apart. That's what sets us apart. And so, I'm still walking this out. <laughs> like We're all yeah. learning this. But that's kind of layman's terms, what I've been learning. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that. To me, when you talked about that, like I've heard that since I was younger, graduated in college about like, yo, character is really what's going to keep you in a place. But I don't think, and then I became very much concerned with character and mm. not about excellence or giving myself fully to my crafts, whatever yeah. it was. I was, I was more concerned about character. And so for me in this moment, I just feel really reminded that like, Character is is vital and it's extraordinarily important, but it's to, and and according to what you're saying, so I'm not exactly sure that that's exactly what I would believe, but I sure. do know what stand what rings in me is like, character is not enough. The character is great, right? Like character is super important. In every room you walk in, like you are there. Your character, the stories that you bring with you, the ways right. that you have clouded your own vision with whatever your things are, um, with distrust for yourself because you didn't keep your promise yesterday for whatever, or the ways that you've given into addiction or the ways that you haven't, you haven't fully given yourself into the thing you said you were going to give yourself to. And, and you bring all that in every space. It's almost like that's the context for things, but what is yeah. actually done or what actually grows the, the thing or whatever is your craft whatever it is that you're given to do or you're giving yourself to do which is another part of your story that i think is really important is that there's not just one thing you're not built for just one thing like you have a personality and a set of experiences that uniquely qualify you and equip you to meet the world in a, in a way and that yeah. can be with words it can be with extraordinary attention to detail i think about any, any, you know, any event planner or some, you know, some actors like day to day manager or whatever the deal is, like there are ways to be excellent when you pay keen attention to the way the coffee, the time, the coffee, the temperature of the coffee, the details of the drivers, the, all the things there are. But there's a way that we can show up in every way that we are. And that goes for landscaping and painting and and it goes for people with 130 followers, 130 billion followers. It's like, and I, and I think that we're tempted away into something different. But the whole point of that before, we, before I get way too far off the beaten track um, and path is that, like, it's not just one thing. Mm -hmm. like, and, and it's interesting because that feels like the narrative that is moving in me is like, I'm not just a father and I'm not just a partner and I'm not just about my family. Like, how am I showing up in the world? So so may you who hear this remember that you're not just built for one thing and you have so much to give. And it may not be the same thing that the other person next to you has to give, but you have so much to give. And the challenge, Daniel, feels like our eyes are so, um, they see what we don't have. 
<laughs> you know, exactly. like we don't, yeah. we're so used to what we do have in our own gifts and strengths. We don't even see them as gifts and strengths because they come so naturally to us, but we're really aware of, of where we're deficient and where our weaknesses are. And then when we see people who are strong in our weaknesses, then we're like, yo, that person though, like that sister right there though. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and, and that's important. And, and sometimes that is like a, it's a guidepost, right? But that doesn't mean like, you know, I, I think there's like so much strengths-based research in the last 20 years that would say like, hey, 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 don't, don't, don't try and like sure up all your weaknesses. Like find relationships and people around you to support you in those, but give yourself to your strengths. Yes. And I think we've been tempted away from that. But for, for, for my sisters and brothers who are listening, I'm, I'm just, you know, our attention can be so drawn and now there's just so many ways our attention is drawn to our deficiencies and, and elsewhere. But I wonder if we sat down and thought about like, maybe not the question is like, what am I great at? Or what am I really strong at? That can be a great question too. But I think like, what comes naturally to me? Mm-hmm. What, yeah. what do people ask me to do for them? What, are, what do people look to me for? What have people asked me to do in the last 30 days? Um, and I, I, that can be that invitation into that. Those are good questions. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I'm like, oh, what are people asking me to do in the past? But so that's something that comes up for me that I, I wanted to like really clearly kind of call out. Another thing, a question that comes to my mind as someone who is reconstructing faith and the ways that I follow God from the tradition that I was raised in. When you talk about a relationship with God, for you, what does that mean? I think it means it's so personal and it's so everyone's is different. Like he's the same God, like, but is he the same? Is your relationship the same as it is with your brother? Like you might have had a similar experience like me and you, like, we both love and know the same God. Is your relationship different than mine? A hundred percent. It's like any person, because he's a real person as well. So it's like, and even what you were saying before that, I think whether it's the thing that you're passionate about or like what you're pursuing or your relationship with God, it's like, are you, so often I think we get caught up in comparison rather than allowing individuals to inspire us so what do i mean by that like if i look at mark and i'm like my boy and i'm like man he got a beautiful wife he got beautiful kids he has his own place he has his own like kinship collective like what am i doing like and he has he gets all these revelations from god like man i don't have that and i get caught up in comparison rather than being like man Man, I don't have kids yet, but the way that he raises his daughters, the way that he shows up for their games, the way that he has uh, family dinners, the way that he takes them out on father-daughter dates, like, that inspires me. That actually gives me hope that, man, maybe I could father one day. And then the same thing with, like, your relationship with the Lord. It's like, man, the way that Mark looks at his relationship with God, the way that he, even, like, when we'd go to um, the high schools and you would give a, a, a Devo, right? You would just, like spit some verses, but you would do it in your way, like you would do spoken word style. And I was like, I've never heard the word of God, the Bible, which can be so boring. And like, man, I don't even want to read this today. Mark would be out there be like, (laughs) in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And Mark would just, I'd be like, I want to read the Bible like that. And, And on that note, when I left uh, pastoring, I went on this journey of like, I'm just supporting my wife. She got called to this acting school. And I was like, cool. Like, I don't know what's next for me, but I want to support my wife. And this is on her, this is on her heart. This is, this is her dream. Like, I'll just work and I'll go to this little, um, I'll go to ministry school. And in that, in that surrender, <laughs> God highlighted something that he was like, Daniel, you know, this has always been there. This thing of what you're talking about of like, what am I good at? Like what comes natural to me? 
writing. Like writing actually comes natural to me. Like I suck at math. By the time I got to like fractions, I was like, okay, frac, I can do frac. And then there was like algebra. And I'm like, I'm out. I'm just out. And I'm a procrastinator, right? So they'd be like, okay, you got a five page paper on the grapes of wrath. <laughs> okay. And I procrastinate and then I write it like the night before and I get like a B minus, right? And, and I'd be like, I never correlated the two of like, oh, because it's a gift. Now, was I kind of abusing the gift because I procrastinated? Sure. But what God highlighted this last year in ministry school was like, hey, you actually, it's actually in your bloodline. Like so often we look at our family and be like, man, I hate the family I come from because they did this and did that. And the, but then like he was teaching me last year to be like, but what good qualities actually come from your family? Oh, everybody's like a wordsmith. Everybody can is eloquent. Everybody's actually, not, not everybody, but a lot of people in your family are good writers, are natural poets. And then I started doing poetry and spoken word. And then I was like, whoa, I can just like put words together and rhyme like really easily. And then he was showing me, even when you were a pastor, like you could public speak. And I was like, yeah, I didn't really like, I didn't really like preaching though. He was like, sure, but you like being on stage? And I'm like, oh, because I'm a performer. And so he was starting to connect the dots of like, even when you play football. Yeah, of course you're competitive, you wanted to win, but you also want to make the one hand catch. You wanted to get the little toe tap. You want to get the crowd hype because you're a natural performer. I put these things in you. So he was starting to show me like, yeah, this is just innately who you are. So you, you were touching on gold there when you're like, when people are trying to figure out what they love and what they like, it's like, what comes natural? What's easy? What are your strengths? And you don't necessarily have to shore up your weaknesses per se. And because it, it's like, and I love that strength finders, like the strength finders test and like learning about those things. When I found out what my top five strengths were, and it was when I was in LA, I was like, oh, this feels like it's a, this is highlighting the path of like what's actually in me. So it was cool. It's cool to, to go on that journey and discover mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that. I think, you know, when you shared about something that stood out to me about when you shared is another way that you can ask yourself a quick question of like, when did I feel not, you could say most alive or most successful or most joyful about what I did. Like mm -hmm. if we, if we put out a, a calendar or you look through your, your calendar for the last year and you think about the events that you managed, the work that you managed, the employees you hired, the people you had to fire, the, the crazy journey that this last, you know, t couple years has been. But if you can pinpoint the times where you felt maybe most alive where you felt most successful, most accomplished, most grateful, and to try and deconstruct where that success came from. Because what I heard you say is like, you're looking back at a football career and saying like, I really love those unique moments where it was like showmanship. I, I, I love the game and I gave my heart to the game, but I love the showmanship. I loved the crowd interaction. Yeah. So you can get... The universal people say like the, the universal truth is in the very distinct truth. And if you can get as most distinct about, oh, that day when I gave that presentation, when I was wearing that suit, when I was wearing that perfume, when I was when my makeup was like that, when I, you know, when my relationship with that person was like this, that's when I came most alive. I think that's that's really helpful. I think one thing that you shared, and I think we hear this all the time uh, growing up in churches or in spiritual kind of spaces. I would say churches specifically. We always say like relationship with God is personal. And it's like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, that's great. But then we measure it like it's like we're at Amazon. We, we measure it like a widget. So... Mm. We say all the time, it's personal, 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 but then we measure it by all the same metrics. How much mm. did you read your scripture? How much did you pray? How much, and all the metrics become the same, but we keep trying to say personal, personal, and we're, and it's okay. not, right? And for me, one of the things that's most powerful, I, uh, one of our previous guests, Kat Armas, she put a post this week about, she posted on, on social media about, the stories of scripture are people's personal journeys with God and nobody, it was all unexpected. Nobody knew how the story was going to end. And because we yeah. have 
you know, thousands of years of interacting with scripture. We're like, oh yeah, well, Moses does this and then he does that and then that does that and then he dies and then Joshua does this and they do this and da da da. But in that moment, everybody nobody knew how it was going to turn out. Everybody was surprised by the next move. Nothing was like, this is the formula. Back to like the relationship when we're like, yeah, super personal. Here's the formula. And then we all measure it the same way. And it looks pretty similar. And everybody's intimacy scale is going to be like similar or whatever. Hmm. I really, to me, your invitation or, or reminding us like that it's personal also is reminding us that like, that means that the metrics are personal too. Mm. The ways that I encounter God are personal. I've had my own wounds with my journey with God, my own wounds with like spiritual leaders. And I have my own inspirations back to similar to strengths. Like what are the moments where I feel most connected to God while I'm, is it while I'm on a hike? Is it with music? Is it in nature at the beach? Is it with other people across from somebody at Roscoe's or at a coffee shop or at a smoothie spot? Or is it walking with somebody around the Rose Bowl? There's these different elements that we don't talk about them a lot. And it's so just really good. interesting to me that we we say personal all the time. But when somebody does start acting personal, acting from their own experience with God, now I'm going to pull it out into a different space, then people start saying like, yo, that's heresy, which is interesting. And some of it may be, right? Like, I'm I'm not sure. But what I do know is that people were calling Jesus a heretic too. Mm-hmm. And Jesus was like, yo, yo, I get it. Like, I'm not trying to throw away all that story. I'm showing you what this looks like now. But nowadays, like, who's showing us what it looks like now? What does this thing look like right now? You've heard it said this, that, and the other, and it looked like this, that, and the other. But this is what it looks like in 2021 in Los Angeles, California. Mm. And... So for me, I I just really appreciate that. So if you're listening, like for me, it's like, trust your personal experience. Trust your own encounter. Start to manage your encounters with God. Come on. From yourself. Not like you're the authority on how you encounter God. No one, not even your most intimate partner is that authority. And a lot of, I think church trains us to hand that authority and agency to the person on the stage. But you, your encounter with God, you're the authority of that. I can't tell you what you experience while you're surfing, yeah. while you're cooking with your kids, while you're playing with your animals. Like, you're the authority of that. So remember that when somebody is giving you a checklist or a measurement or you start to feel unaligned or like you're inadequate, you're not measuring up to like the standard. Well, the scripture is full of people who didn't have a standard or they had the first few stories and they didn't know how it was going to turn out and mm. they became part of a larger journey, but they were trying to be faithful to their experience with mm. God and their encounters with God. Mm. So every time it's so, it, so the next time you hear somebody talk about a personal experience or relationship with God, I, I hope that that's a reminder to say like, you are the authority in your encounters with God and you get to follow that. <laughs> You're touching on some gold, man. Um, I, I just thought of this part in scripture. You're talking about everybody experienced God um, in a own personal way. You remember the story of Hagar, right? And to those who don't know, look up Hagar, because I think she was the first person. She was th- that gave a name. That's right. That like name uh, gave a name of God, like El Roy, the, the God, God who sees here. Me. Yeah. Or here, sees, and and she was like supposed to be the slave, like she was supposed to be the the woman who got sent away, like the afterthought, the the one that like oh I, I'm not worthy enough to to bear children for Abraham the chosen one, and it was like so he, she gets sent into the desert, and then God meets her there. It's like how beautiful is that? She has a story for all time that like. And actually, she's like, God sees me. God sees me when nobody else saw me. That's personal. If she would have went back and said, hey, Abraham, hey, hey, Sarah, look, God actually saw me. He met me here. Who knows what they would have said, right? But I think what you're talking about is beautiful because a lot of the people who said, like you said, that Jesus was a heretic, a lot of those people were religious leaders. 
I'm saying this as a former pastor. Like the church in terms of like the buildings, the walls, like is so important. Like people meet God in the church. Guess what? People meet God outside the church. I remember when I first met my wife and we were getting to know each other. And one Sunday morning, I was like, hey, uh, and because I was going, this was a season I was going to church like every day. Sometimes I went to church like twice one time. <laughs> I was like, I was loving, I was loving being in the building, right? And it was great. And God was meeting me there. And one day I'll tell Mariah, and I know Mariah loved Jesus. Like she loved, she grew up in the church, all that. So I was like, hey, you want to go to church with me? And I actually met her at that church. But this one Sunday, particularly Sunday, I was like, hey, you, you want to come to church? She was like, no, I'm good. And I was like, what you mean? Like, I'm, I'm going to church. Like, <laughs> you coming with me, right? She's like, no, nah, I'm going to stay here and watch the Seahawks game. I said, what? You going to stay here and watch NFL? <laughs> when I say the religious bones of my body were annoyed and perturbed, I'm like, I'm, I'm the former NFL player. I want to stay here and watch football. What you mean? Like, you ain't going to come church with me? Mark, she said something to me I'll never forget. She said, I think God enjoys sitting on the couch with me and watching football just as much as he enjoys sitting on the chair with me at church. Hey, hey. I was hey. like, what? She did not. I was like, ah, like, I, I felt like a Pharisee. I was like, cast her out, cast it out. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it really challenged me because mm. here's somebody who like, am I going to judge her personal relationship with the Lord? Or am I going to be curious and be like, hmm, what would that look like? And, you know, I went to church by myself that day. I had a great time, but it also, I was challenged because I was like, could I find God outside the church too? And God was already showing me that in, in my own personal way, but it never to the point of like, could I do something that actually brings me joy with God? I found that out in the weight room on the way to, but just a normal random activity, like sitting on the couch, and I think oftentimes we get criticized or ridiculed for being like, "Are you, you ain't read your Bible, like you said, or you haven't sat in the church and like you haven't gone. And it's like, because I can, if God's the same and he, but individual to me, does that mean he actually wants to like meet me where I'm at too? And I remember another thing she said that really like challenged me. She grew up with Bible study and all that to the point where it was like overbearing. Like her parents would do it every single week. And she's like, she kind of felt forced at times. She knows the word. She loves the word. She told me, God told her, don't read the Bible for a year. You say that to some people, they would have been like, that's the devil. <laughs> <laughs> she said, she said when she first heard that, she's like, what? Because God wanted her to go on a journey of experiencing him and finding him outside of just his word. And you remember what Jesus said to the, uh, to the um, I think it was the woman at the well. He said, there will come a time where people will worship me in spirit and in truth. Yeah, The truth is the word. The word of God is truth. Spirit, God being, again, omnipresent everywhere. She went into the woods, <laughs> found God in nature. She, Like you said, she went on walks. She watched football games. She was seeing like, where is God outside of just the only place I've ever really felt like I've discovered him? And God is so like, God, God's not intimidated by sending you on a journey to find him outside of scripture. Scripture is our grounding. It is our foundation. Like you can find him there in an instant. But for her specifically in that season, he wanted her to go on a journey of like, hey, find me outside of this. So yeah, I love I love what you share about that. For me, one of the beautiful things that I hear in that is a metric. It's almost like it is a metric of Jesus also where for Mariah, when Mariah looks at you and goes, no, I'm good. Smile on her face, pajamas, chilling, chilling. And she's like, no, I'm OK. I'm not going. I'm not, I'm not going to go there. There's a sense of freedom. Mm. And and sometimes. And we're raised in systems, church systems that are like, this is what you, these are the metrics, right? Yep. And you never really feel liberation, liberated, total joy. Mm. 
at at fulfilling checking the boxes that they're telling you to check but when relationship when god and the divine and beauty and truth become this personal experience through through your personal experience i'm like because I will encounter God more on the couch watching football than I will in a room full of people all trying to check boxes. And I'm not saying that everybody in the room is just trying to check boxes. It's beautiful to be around people. It's beautiful to hear good news. It's beautiful to hear, for me, black folks making music like we have since the beginning of freaking time. Come on. It's beautiful to be in a space like that. But when it is just about checking the boxes and those metrics, they don't give you life or joy or liberation. Then you can find more liberation on the couch watching football with a belief and understanding that God is with me here, that God can enjoy me wherever, that I can encounter God wherever. As I kinda, Can I give you go ahead. a quick, exa- quick example of that, too? This was before I met Mariah and I had hurt my knee and I was really like sad because I'm rehabbing my knee. Like, right. I'm in, I achieve, like I'm at my dream and then I tear my knee. And so I'm rehabbing my knee and it was the, I tore my knee May, 2012. And now it's like, it was, it was like August, 2012. So a couple months later, so I'm not fully recovered yet. And I could be, I couldn't even watch football. I was like so sad because I was like, man, I know I'm better than some of these guys. I played against some of these tight ends. Like I'm way better athlete. And I kept living in that comparison thing. And I remember I was watching TV and all of a sudden, like, I felt sad. I was like, man, I'm comparing myself to these guys. And And I felt like God wanted to speak to me. And so I just was like, I was watching and I remember he was like, hey, you know how hard it is to make it to that level. So what would it look like to actually celebrate these guys rather than be like spiteful? And I was just like, I don't want to do that. Like, what you mean? Like, I'm the one that's supposed to be there. I'm the one that's supposed to be on the field. And it was almost like he was inviting me to try it. And it was something that I wasn't in church. I was was in the living room. And bro, I tell you what. The next time a, a tight end got a pass, it was like a, a five yard pass. Or I, I was like, I did. It felt so fake, but I was like, "Hey, man!" I was like, "I was like, hey, man! Great, shot, great catch!" Yeah. But something broke in me, bro. Where I was like, "Whoa!" Like, I felt this freedom. I felt his presence of like he was so proud of me for celebrating somebody for doing something that is so hard, even though I couldn't do it at the time, and maybe I would never do it again. It brought it it brought me into this new deeper level of relationship with God of like this trust of like hey you can still celebrate you can still celebrate people doing the thing that you used to be able to do, and it, he led me into this like deeper level of freedom and like release and surrender, uh, and mm-hmm. it was like this invitation and mm. and you can experience that at church like I've mm. I've wept my wept my eye like cried my eyes out feeling God's presence at church but I was in the living room. When that happened, yeah. and it's something that I never forgot, and it was mm. something that helped me heal yeah. from the pain that I felt from not being able to play anymore. So yeah. that was just something that came to mind. What's interesting to me about our conversation to this point, it's there's this sense of um, translating. We're reclaiming some of the story we've been given about church and about God. We've been told mm. that it's personal. But personal was defined as a, as an impersonal list that applies to everyone. And we're saying, okay, no, 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 it is personal, like you've always heard. You've heard it said it is personal. But now we say to you, that means that you are the authoritative voice on what that means and how you encounter God. You define that. And the more that you can live into that, the more you will encounter God, the more you'll be able to articulate it the less that other people's voices and comparison will play a part in that. And for me, though, when I think about stepping away or trying to reframe or reclaim scripture, there's a scripture that's coming to my mind. It's from 2 Timothy. 
And Paul is writing this second letter to this young leader, and he reminds Timothy about his heritage. But then he gives him this principle, this small statement that we've all heard. Well, many of us, maybe we haven't heard this principle about that authority, where it comes from within and what God has bestowed in us. Let me read this. It comes from 2 Timothy 1, and I'll read probably like, I like move my marker around so many times in our conversation. I thought we might be talking about, where you at, baby? Where you at? Here we go. First Timothy. Um, he's Second uh, Timothy. I'm going to start at verse 3. Paul, again, writing to this young leader, trying to remind him where he's come from, where Paul is coming from, and then this truth about how we navigate and what he needs to know. And it, it, it speaks life even to me right now. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, as I remember your tears. Oh, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere trust and faith, that trust that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells with you. I am reminding you, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy, remember, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So 2 Timothy verses Mm. 3 through 7, I feel like that really aligns with a lot of the things we've shared today. Uh, That self-control piece sounds like character to me. But what comes to your mind now, Daniel, as we from on the like, it's, you know, so interesting in this context of our conversation, we see different things. But for you, what stands out to you from this scripture today? You know, that I, I, Second Timothy chapter one, verse seven in particular is my favorite verse. But the ones that you said before that, what stands out is the lineage. When you said your grandmother and your mother, it was it was their faith. That is now passed down to you. This this heritage, this like deep roots that like, it goes back. And I think about people just in my life, like, and here's the thing, it doesn't have to be your biological mother or father who like told you about the the name of Jesus, like who introduced you to the faith in Christ, who told you about their depth of relationship with God. Like I've had multiple people who like have in, I had one person in particular, Ms. Vicky Cherry, who introduced me to the faith when I was like five years old, who laid her hands on me and prayed over me. So I can really relate to Timothy. But then there was other people along the journey who like watered that seed that she planted, right? And I think about that of like, so often we feel so individual in our faith and like, man, it's yeah. like I'm a lone wolf out here in these streets. Like it's like, <laughs> but no, it's like you are one of the one of the sheep in the flock. Like one of the many sheep in the flock. You're not alone. Like, and it just makes me grateful for the people who have like poured into me and like given me courage when I when I felt afraid. Goodness and gracious! Like, cause that's real, man. Like so often it's like. And the Bible talks about it, it's like, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. And it's like, if you really break that down, though, I feel like God is saying, like, he's not saying you can't be afraid, but it's almost like when we do feel it, what do we do with it? And are we going to stay there? Because it's like, do we know who our God is? Mm-hmm. Do we know that our God gives, doesn't, he doesn't give us that spirit of fear. So what we're feeling when we feel afraid, that's actually not from God, like, he gives us a spirit of power mm. 
Like I am, I can overcome because of him, what he overcame on the cross. Like he gives me a spirit of love. Like, do I feel like loving my coworkers today? No. Do I feel like loving these people that I'm called to serve today? No. But who gives me the the capacity to do it? God. That's how when you're like, Daniel, how are you so loving? It's like, he gave me the strength today. <laughs> like, and and like you say, yeah, with self-control of the character, but um those are a couple of things that make that that I think about. And um I mean let, let me it's so real. I'm going to jump so in. I, I think one of the things that stands out to me, when you talk about heritage, I think many of us come from families or churches and spiritual spaces that the heritage was unhealthy. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of rule following or religiosity that was harmful. I'm thinking yeah. about different churches that were talking about, like, you know, beating the evil out of your children, to be honest, which is like, triggering and like I'm almost like you know I don't know uh, you know alert you know what I'm saying but totally. it's there are people who have been handed a heritage of what it looks like to encounter God that was never good news yeah and it excluded them for their identity mm-hmm. whoever they were whatever that was about their race their sexuality their identity th- their beliefs their experiences with the world Yep. There are ways that their their heritage of faith excluded them back to Hagar out out cast away from the family and away from community mm-hmm. to become the first person to say, "Oh no, God sees me right here." Mm-hmm. And to me, that feels really important to acknowledge not just that like some of us have had to like. I don't even know, swim move our heritage, but we've been left like, well, what do I do now? Because there is truth in this story. I have encountered God through this story, but it's back to the baby in the bathwater. And it's like, I, I don't know what to do with it now. Now what do I do? But for me, when you said that lineage, like the first word that, that comes to my mind is like something new. So maybe you become the grandmother, right? It's 2022. Mm-hmm. Maybe people look back to your story right now and say, you know, we yeah. were handed unhealth from generation to generation. And all of that unhealth in my mind is like people coping. We're talking yeah. about, in my mind, right, slaves being brought here. Mm-hmm. Systems and systems designed to oppress people of color, black folks in the South, now right. black folks and brown folks in prison. Mm-hmm. And it's like the system is designed. So we're all coping with our reality, trying to suppress these negative memories, trying to like, work right past them and just like, I will be successful no matter what. Speaking specifically to like, now I'm thinking about women who constantly like this ceiling or now these women who are extraordinary business women and now also having to manage all of the details of the family life and their own careers that they're, that are flourishing. And it's just like so much weight. Or, or the abuse that they've suffered for generations and it gets swept under the rug or minimized. Yeah, or, or yeah, not taken seriously. You tried mm-hmm. to tell somebody about what happened to you, and they're like, no, nah, I didn't. Are you sure? Which is so, I mean, oh, thank you for saying that. I'm, I'm thinking about the stories I've read of women who are like, um, I read a, this book called um, The Way of Integrity by Martha Beck, and she shares about her, uh, some stuff in her family um, from the Mormon tradition and just the ways that, in order to keep power working the way that it was, everybody's just like sweep it all under the rug. So yeah, you're right about that. But we we can start a new story today. Amen. And now it's 2022, so it can be it can be 400 years. And back to like systemic racism. Now we're talking about systemic power that would suppress the marginalized and these stories that are a threat to power, that are a threat to money in capitalism. And, but, but the story of your family can be, you can be the grandmother that gets mentioned yeah. in somebody's journal. It might not be the, the scriptures, but that so, is, some, that is the journalist, someone else's encounters with God and their story. Just like the Bible to me is, is filled with these people's encounters with God as their story, it's their jur- journal of the ways that Yahweh was present. But you can be that name. My my grandfather Daniel was from Alaska. 
<laughs> he thought it was supposed to be this way. He encountered God that way. And this changed the trajectory of our family. Mm. He was a pastor and surrendered all of that to support his wife. And that took our family up to this place for this season. Then they both became multi-billion, trillion, billionaires. Just kidding. <laughs> um, but, yes. But, yes. But, we, but we start a new story. So all yeah. that to say, like, you might not be able to push back generations and be like, yo, these people are phenomenal. Oh, my God. But mm. we can say starting today in 2022, my, the, the generations after me, it could be nieces and nephews. Maybe you don't have children. Maybe you totally. can't have children. Uh, maybe you have a, a encountered a divorce. The realities of partnership are changing for you. Maybe think, But maybe the generations that follow can still point to you and say, but the ways that they navigated, it was filled with faith, hope, and love. No matter how difficult it was. Can we also throw can we also throw in failure? <laughs> oh yeah. It, it was filled with that and how God met them in their failure mm. and how they overcame it. Yeah. When they remembered. Or when somebody came to them and said, You're much more than your failure. Because that's the other thing. And and we don't have to get deep into this, but it's like it's almost you almost feel like when you're raised in the church or in some churches you walk in, it's like you gotta look a certain way, you gotta act a certain way. Like you said, you gotta check certain boxes. And if you live this perfect lifestyle, then you can have a relationship, not only with God, but with the leaders. Mm. And it and God's like, hold up. Like, I took care of perfection so that you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. I walked it out. I died for it. So there's actually nothing from your past that disqualifies you from your rich inheritance in me. Mm. And I think that's so, because what you're saying, I was like, it's so, so, so important. But like everybody that you that you look up to in the faith has failed at some point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you feel me? Yeah. Well, for and me, well, yeah. no, go ahead. Go ahead again. And just like, and it's just how God met us in it, in his love and his grace and his kindness and how we overcame it in that. Yeah. I love you calling that out because for me, what I'm, what I was communicating is not that it's not just up and to the right. Every quarter, every, every month is up and to the right. Money's up, love is up, you know, but it's saying that no matter, like when I look back at grandpa Daniel's story, hmm. even in the failure, so that, that, the ways that he navigated failure, the ways that he navigated um, like unexpected loss and trauma. Totally. It is different. So, so I'm thinking about like, you know, he didn't suffer like people who have no hope. Not with toxic positivity, not embracing the truth and the forensic realities of what was going on. Mm. He embraced that, but he still held hope, this really gritty, tried and true hope yeah. while embracing the, dis the, the painful realities that he was going through. So for me, that's, that's the, the narrative. Not that the narrative would just be up and to the right, only success. Yeah. That's not very formative or transformative, I don't believe. But that Come the on. suffering, the suffering forms us and 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 grows us. How how beautiful. Toxic positivity, boy, you throwing out terminology for me. I'm like, I ain't heard that one. That's good. Oh, it's uh, <laughs> I mean, for me, I, I think both of us as people who are maybe encouragers and who can see the light. For me, you know, when you talk about strength finder, my strength finder number one is positivity. So it's mm -hmm. like. I pick up the coffee mug and it's like, oh, this thing is mad empty. But I'm like, eh, I call it three quarters full. There's, ah! there's some possibility in there, right? <laughs> like the, cup, the glass is half full, <laughs> even when it's empty. The club is half full. Positivity is my number two. Yeah, and it's or three like that. Yeah, yeah. So it becomes a filter, and sometimes I'm not able to even back to like what comes naturally or whatever. I'm not even able to perceive the realities of mm. the stress of the stressors of the traumas, of the challenges, wow. because it's just seen through rose-colored positivity goggles. Um, wow. and, and, and many times people who earn the stages or whatever, who have been get granted the stages, 
we want to hear that kind of thing. We want to hear that it's up and to the right. We want to hear that it's up and it's up and it's up and it's stuck. And it's, we want to hear that all the time. But the reality is we have to embrace the suffering. We have to call out the fact that like sisters and brothers are still getting killed. So like, yes, we've come a long way. But yes, we've come away, but we have a long way to go. Come on. So for me, that's that's where po- toxic kind of positivity, and it's a it's a thing for me for sure. Like it's a thing thing. I'm trying to oh, work on. Like, oh, I feel that. Yeah, embracing yeah. what is real, embracing what's true, and that's where relationships help too. Like the people who are, when you're so positive, sometimes people who are realistic feel pessimistic. Yeah, <laughs> and. <laughs> <laughs> Those relationships help us to see what's really true. Mm. They can help to round out our, you know, overly positive experiences. Wow. Or perceptions, really. Beautiful wisdom. Come on, man. Daniel, I'm so grateful for your time, bro. The ways that you shared your story today is phenomenal, man. Are you freaking kidding me? Thank you, bro. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Man. Gosh, I missed you, man. It's like, yeah, it's a gift to be with you, man. Seriously. <laughs> it's so good. And so, like, for those of you who are listening, you can follow Daniel on Instagram. We'll put his tags and stuff on all of our posts and in our social media. He's got some incredible art coming out into the world as he lives into new passions. Mm. What a gift to be reminded of talent and character and lineage and story and the personal encounters with God. Man, what a beautiful gift. Thank you, Daniel, for joining us. And for, for those listeners, like, at the end of these bad boys, remember, like, the ways that we see the world, you, Daniel said this in the beginning, your story matters. Yes. And when we talk about celebrating who you are, all of the quirks and all of the ways that you've come, but we also have matured to a space where we want to lament, too, because not every story is, and I achieved my dream and I went to the NFL. Some stories are like, I gave it everything I had and I got cut. And that was the end of it for me. And so we lament with you. We bring the proper response to those traumas. We are so grateful for who you are. And we just want to reimagine scripture together. So at the end of this month, we're working to uh, create a gathering that you can come to where we can do all this together in a big room. This part will probably be edited so we can get you the proper information. But may you know that you are so loved And we're family when we dignify one another's being and their perspectives. That's what we encounter. So much love, y'all. We'll talk to you next time. Peace.